The first time I ever heard the song, I Want You to Live Forever, uh, by Drew Holcomb, was actually, uh, it was playing with the NBA commercial, a commercial, National Basketball Association, with I Want You to Live Forever. Uh, and, and here's the lyrics to that song, some of the lyrics. Some people say faith is a childish game, play on children like it's Christmas Day. Sing me a song, sing me a melody, sing out loud, you're a symphony. I want you to live forever underneath the sky so blue. I want you to live forever underneath the sky so blue. Take courage when the road is long. Don't ever forget you're never alone. Y'all know this song? Some of you, many of you know this song? Uh, and so what they did with this commercial through the, through the magic of technology uh, is they splice in footage of NBA players from different eras and make them look like they're playing with people that weren't actually their contemporaries. So, for example, uh, they take Paul Pierce, who was still playing two or three years ago, and they splice him in coming out of the tunnel with, like, the 1960s Boston Celtics. Or they take Kobe Bryant, and they splice him in coming out with Magic Johnson. Or they have uh, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh on the sidelines with, it looks like, Bill Russell, and they're, they're getting ready to talk about the game they're going to play. Or Charles Barkley making a behind-the-back pass. I could go on with this forever. Uh, Charles Barkley making a behind-the-back pass uh, to Blake Griffith. And then um, one of my favorites, they actually put a Celtics uniform on Michael Jordan, and they have Larry Bird passing Michael Jordan, pass to Michael Jordan for the, for the game-winning shot. And so they, they mix all these eras up. At times they, they mix the teams up. And I have to tell you, I'll be honest, I tear up almost every time I see this video, okay? <laughs> I know, I know it's a very odd thing, but this, this, this is true. In fact, Friday I was watching it for the first time in a long time, and the mailman was coming to the door, and I'm like trying to, to wipe the tear out, because like this is going to be a really odd conversation when he asked me, what's wrong? Well, so, so, so why is it that, that I tear up when I'm watching this? Well, honestly, a lot of it is that song. If y'all know that song, I think you could put that song to a video of hamsters dancing, and people would cry. It's like, oh, I love these hamsters. But, but it's something about... It's superimposed with these players that you know they're not going to play anymore. And they're not around anymore. And at least not playing. And you're not going to get to experience seeing that. And, and something that you enjoyed so much and was so incredible, you're, you're never going to see that again. And, and it's ended, but you don't want it to end. Uh, There's a a hymn by Isaac Watts. He says, but time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. And and I think that's something of what you feel, something of what I feel when I'm I'm watching that. I remember when I was a campus minister, we were at a uh, retreat center one year, and we we had a bluegrass band, and we were going to have a dance. And Greg Thompson, who was a, a campus minister at UVA at the time, made the comment to the students, he said, all the campus ministers and their wives really wish that they were still your age and that they still had the youth and the exuberance and the energy that, that you have when you go out and you dance tonight. And they, they, they miss that. They wish they were still there. But, but time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, I don't know how many of you watched the television show this is us. On Super Bowl Sunday, they killed off one of their best characters in, indirectly, one of their favorite character, people's favorite characters, because of a, a house fire. It was caused by a crockpot. It caused massive crockpot panic around the country. But, but people 
hated that this character had been killed off. But the name of the show is, is This Is Us, and this is us, and these things do happen. And time, like an ever-rolling stream, does bear all her sons away. But those are kind of, those, those examples aren't very weighty, are they? They're, they're, they're some way, in some ways, we can, we can laugh at those a little bit. We, we, we grieve the loss of former NBA players or our ability to dance or a favorite character on a television show. And those are sad, but they're not weighty. Uh, what's really weighty, what brings us real grief is the loss of mothers, especially if we think about that on Mother's Day. And fathers and children and aunts and uncles and, and friends and classmates, both young and old. And those losses are even very fresh uh, for some of us. And, and lurking behind all of that weighty grief, uh, though we tend to think about it as little as possible, is the knowledge that one day people will be grieving for us as well. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all her sons away? How do we deal with death? Uh, That's actually where our text brings us this morning, so that's what we're going to think about. Uh, Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, and I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 18. This is God's Word. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, I, I pray as we uh, think about a, a, a solemn subject this morning that you might encourage us and that you might give us hope uh, in the midst of our own grief. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to I start here, before I get to what I would call a more distinctly Christian approach to dealing with death, I want to talk about kind of some general cultural approaches to dealing with death. The first one would be a more stoic approach. Um, that we kind of avoid dealing with our emotions. Uh, in the Iliad by Homer, one character says to another, Bear up and don't give in to angry grief. Nothing will come from mourning for your son, nor will you raise him up before you die. Uh, In the movie The Man on the Moon, which is a movie about Andy Kaufman, and if you don't know who Andy Kaufman is, you should Google him sometime, a very eccentric uh, comedian of the earlier era. But Jim Carrey has this masterful portrayal. He really becomes Andy Kaufman in this movie. And, and you see at Andy Kaufman's funeral, I think you see this stoic approach played out at almost an absurd level. He's, he's, he's in the casket, uh, and, and they play a video, and it's, it's Andy talking to the gathered mourners. And this is what he says, 
I just want to say, until we meet again, please remember. <clears throat> and then he and then he starts singing. And if you don't, if you don't, if you haven't seen this, picture Jim Carrey kind of like in a Mr. Rogers kind of voice doing this. Okay, if, if that helps you at all. He starts singing in this friendly, friendly world with each day so full of joy. Why should any heart be lonely in this friendly, friendly world with with each so full of dreams? Why should any heart be afraid? And then he he pauses and he says, yep, it's a friendly world. So everybody put your arm around each other. And and remember, this, this is at the funeral. And sway to the music and sing along. And then he sings, this world is such a wonderful place. And he sings a little more. And then he ends and he says, we thank you. We thank you for this friendly, friendly world. Goodbye. And it's almost like he's, he's leading them from the grave in papering over their grief and not really dealing with what they may actually feel. This is a, a man who had just died of cancer, unless you believe the rumors that he's still, that's another story. Uh, is a man who had just died for cancer, and he's, he's, he's almost like he's leading them in a denial of the harshness of what life in this world is really like. And, you know, let's be honest, we don't, we don't usually go to those extremes, but we do, we do do that at times, right? We, we do try to put on a, a stoic face and suppress the grief as much as we can and try, try to not deal with the realities of the emotions that we actually feel. Sometimes we do this as believers, even when we say, well, they're, they're in a better place. And, and that is true, and that can be comforting to us. But sometimes we can kind of rely on that to the extent that we are not really dealing with the hurt that we feel. And so there's the the stoic approach. Uh, Then there's what Tim Keller calls the modern secular approach. And I'm I'm totally ripping this point off from him. Uh, But the modern secular approach denies that there's anything horrible or bad about death. Uh, Julian Barnes was a British novelist who wrote a book about death entitled, It's Nothing to be Frightened of. Uh, Diane Athill in, uh, wrote an article called It's Silly to be Afraid of Death. Uh, and in the article, she said basically, well, you know, death is just a natural process and it's part of the life cycle of the world. And when you die, that's just part of the world's life cycle. And your body and your chemicals go down into the earth and they nourish the earth and they nourish other beings. And so death is nothing more than slipping down into non consciousness. Uh, Peter Kraft is a, a philosopher, and he tells a story of a, a neighbor who had kind of embraced this modern secular philosophy, uh, except she had a seven-year-old son. And the seven-year-old son, his co- young cousin, died. And he came to his mother, and he said, where's my cousin? And the mom didn't believe in God, and she didn't believe in the afterlife, and she kind of embraced this philosophy I've been talking about. And she says, well... Your cousin has gone back to the earth that we all came from. And death is a natural part of the cycle of life. And when you see the flowers blooming next spring, you'll know that your cousin's life is fertilizing the flowers. And her son screamed and said, I don't want him to be fertilizer. And went running out of the room. And Keller made the comment, he said, the 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 mom was actually surprised by her, by her son's reaction because she had em, embraced the modern secular propaganda and, and, and had suppressed 
the emotions that we all actually feel in the face of death. And her son hadn't learned to suppress those yet. Because death is a monstrosity. And it is an intrusion um, into our lives. So there's a, there's a stoic approach. Uh, there's the modern secular approach. And then there's what I'll just call the angry approach. Dylan Thomas uh, wrote, and you know this, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And, you know, that by itself is incomplete. It's an incomplete way to think about death. But it's actually closer to the way that we should think about death. It's closer to a normal reaction than the stoic reaction or the modern secular reaction. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus wept and was actually angry. Uh, at death. And so there's these different approaches in our culture to death, which we ourselves embrace to one degree or another at times. And then I think Paul points us, though, to a distinctly Christian approach to how we think about the death of other believers. Paul tells us here in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, verse 13, that even though we grieve, that Christians can actually approach death with hope. Now, Why is that? Why can a believer in Jesus Christ actually look at death with hope? Well, let me back up a minute and and let's think about the the general Christian worldview. Uh, For the last several weeks, we didn't do it today, but for the last several weeks in our catechism question, we've been talking about Adam and Eve. It it feels like, to me at least, we've been talking about it week after week after week. And we've been talking about the, the fall of man recorded in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, why in the world did the guys that wrote the catechism spend so much time talking about that subject? Well, it's because without that information, without Adam and Eve, without the fall, without their sin and rebellion, Christianity really makes no sense at all. Jesus really makes no sense at all. Uh, Romans 5, let me read Romans 5 verse 12 and, and some of the following verses. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Then in verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Or if you want a simpler version, Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy 1, Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Um, The gospel is Jesus coming into this world that has been broken and shattered uh, by our first parent's sin and and by our own sin. And Jesus coming and taking the condemnation that sinners, that sinful men and women actually deserve. It's about Him getting our wages. The gospel is about Jesus getting paid for what we did so that we could get paid 
for what he did. He took on our punishment so that we would not have to bear it, so that we could be forgiven. He got the death we deserved, but death couldn't hold him. Uh, Acts 2, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so Jesus has been raised. And what Paul says here in verse 16 is just as Jesus has been raised, those who are in Christ will be raised as well. In other words, there's an inseparable connection between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of those who are in Him. There's an inseparable connection between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of those who have faith in Jesus Christ, those who are in Him. Uh, when I was about five years old, I, I went fishing with my dad, and one of us had caught a brim, it's a smaller fish, and we put it on the fish stringer. For those of you who don't fish, it's, it's just a, it's a little string, a little rope. You run through the fish's mouth, and you stake it in the side of the bank, and then the fish kind of stays in the water to, to keep it fresh until you get done fishing. And so while we're there, a, a bass comes along and swallows the brim. And my dad like, sees this as it has happened, and he pulls the fish stringer up, and he caught a bass on the fish stringer. I'm, I'm not making this up, okay? All right. He couldn't raise one of those fish up. He couldn't raise one of those fish up without raising the other one up because that brim was in the bass. Okay, and so when he raised one, he raised both. They were they were inseparably connected. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is a funny image. If you're if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are inseparably connected to Jesus Christ. You are in Christ so that God cannot raise Jesus up without raising you up as well. Christ's resurrection guarantees your resurrection. Now, how does that work itself out uh, in, in, in time as this passage addresses this to some extent? Let me, let me give you a, a timeline because I, I do get asked this from time to time. Um, what happens at the death of a believer in Christ? Well, at the death of a believer in Christ, our soul or our spirit departs to be with Christ. Um, there's a few passages you can see this, uh, where we draw this from. Philippians 1.23, Paul says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 2 Corinthians 5.8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And then Jesus to the thief on the cross in Luke 23, Truly I say to you today, today you will be with me in paradise. So at the death of a believer, their soul goes to be with the Lord. And when Jesus returns, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 seems to indicate Jesus will bring those saints with him. Verse 16 says their bodies will be will raise from the grave and so body and spirit will be reunited those who are still alive until that time they will be lifted up into the air as well uh, and they will all meet there together and the the language that's used here is actually that of of the language that they would use to go and and welcome a, a visiting king or dignitary they would go out from the city and welcome him and then bring him back into the city Uh, Following this comes the final judgment. Paul writes that we must all appear before the judgment seat 
of Christ. And the righteous will go to everlasting life and the wicked will go to everlasting death. Um, I wanted to read from our confession of faith. I think it gives a good summary of this. If you, if you didn't follow me there, they, they write, The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal substance, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torments and utter darkness reserved to the judgment of the great day. And so there's this picture then of, of those who are not in Christ being cast into hell and those who are in Christ going into glory going into glory well they will have new resurrection bodies where there will be and you can read through revelation there will be eating and drinking and feasting and worship and they will be reunited with other believers and they will be reunited with the lord himself so because of all that uh, when a believer in jesus christ dies we do grieve we do grieve because it is hard and it is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and we all mourn in, in different ways and we need to be patient with one another through that process and love one another through that process and give one another space to mourn. And we need to mourn with those who mourn. Not try to isolate ourselves from the grief but actually enter into it with them. But we don't grieve in the same way the world grieves, Paul says. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we do have hope. Um, let me just kind of, as we wrap up, let me give some of those reasons that we have hope as believers. Um, one thing is that we, we know something about the end of the story. We know something that changes the way we think about death. All right, we know that Jesus is risen, and because Jesus is risen, we too will rise. Now, I'm going to talk about the Avengers, and I don't think I'm going to give anything major away, but if you don't trust me, I understand that. Uh, I'm not always trustworthy on these things. You can cover your ears for a minute, or I guess Matt's leaving because I don't want to hear this. Uh, you can cover your ears for a minute or whatever, and, and I'll give you a signal that it'll be okay. But in the Avengers, like... Everybody knows, um, or everybody suspects, that there's going to be people who die, right? Like, this is the one, there's, there's going to be some heroes who die. And really, part of the fun going into the Avengers is you're trying to guess, well, which one are they going to kill off, okay? That, that's part of, the, part of the game. Who are they going to kill off? And you know also that in superhero movies, just because somebody dies, it doesn't mean they really die, because they have this way of, of bringing people back from the dead. But but here's so so when you go to the movie, here's how you can make an educated guess about whether the person who may die on the screen is actually dead in real life. Alright? And this is this is how you do it. If that character, let's just make up a character, let's say Meteor Man, alright? So he's not actually in there. It's a great movie if you've never seen it, but none of you have seen this. Meteor Man, alright, so let's say that, that Meteor Man dies. How do I know whether or not he's actually dead? 
Well, if the person who plays that doesn't have a contract with Marvel Studios or whoever makes a movie, if they don't have a contract to make another movie, they're probably actually dead, okay? <laughs> but if the person who plays Meteor Man has a contract to make more movies, even though he dies in the Avengers, I'm betting he's probably coming back, okay? Because he's got a contract to make some more movies. He signed a contract to star in another movie. So he's not really dead. Christians know that Jesus, we know something about the end. We know something about what's coming next. We know that Jesus has signed a contract in his blood that promises to bring everyone, by which he promises to bring back everyone from the dead who is united to him by faith. We know the ending. We know something that changes the way we think about death. We can go through it going, ah, no, 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 he signed a contract. So I know that that person who's united to Christ is coming back. And so that changes the way we think about death. We grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. Secondly, when believers die, they, they and this picture here of, of the saints coming back and the ones who are still alive meeting together in the air, we know that they get to be with other believers. All right, it's the one family reunion you don't have to dread, okay? Because, because everybody's going to be on their best behavior. Um, perfect behavior, actually. And, and so you know if there's someone that, that you love who knows Christ, that, that when they die, even though they're going to be apart from you, they're going to be in good company. They're going to be in good company. Uh, when Emma went off to, to college this fall, we grieved that because we were apart from her, and, th- and that was hard. But then over the course of the year, we found out she was making these great friends who she loved greatly. And so that tempered our grief, right? We were able to say, oh, this is, this is actually a good thing for her. How much more have those who have gone before us and are in the presence of other believers, how much more is this a good thing for them? And so we grieve but we grieve with hope. Thirdly, uh, when believers die, everything that's been broken with them will be made well. They are are more happy than than they've ever been. And if they could text us, it would be like your relatives who have gone to the beach ahead of you and they're like, will you hurry up and get here? Like you you are missing out on what I'm experiencing already. And so we grieve, but we grieve with hope. Fourthly, when they die, and perhaps most importantly, verse 17 says they, they get to be with Jesus. He says, so we will always be with the Lord. Uh, I was watching a video this week, and, and some of you may have seen this. It's two or three years old. It's about a kid meeting Bo Jackson. And the kid's dad played for the, plays for the Chicago White Sox. And they're at spring training, and he's standing there watching batting practice, and Bo Jackson is there standing beside him. And there, the, the video, they kind of, the recorder, they, they pick up this conversation they're having because Bo had played for the White Sox years ago. And they're talking, and at some point Bo says, yeah, I, I used to play for the Kansas City Royals. And the, the kid, he's, he's probably like eight years old, he says, oh, you did? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how, long did you, how long did you play for the Royals? And Bo says, well, your, your dad was was." probably younger than you are when I played for the Royals. And I, I played for them from 85 to 87. 
And then I played for uh, the White Sox, and I played for the California Angels, and I played for the Raiders. And you could tell the kid's kind of thrown off by he's like, the Raiders. Like, what baseball team is the Raiders? And he's like, and, and Bo looks at him, he's like, you ever heard of the Heisman Trophy? And the kid's like, ah, oh. he's like, I, it's for the, the best college football player in the country. I, I, I won that. He's like, oh, so you played. He's like, yeah, I played professional football. And, and, and I was actually, I played for the Oakland Raiders, and I was the, the first person to, you know, uh, hit a home run in an all-star game and play in an all-star game in an NFL Pro Bowl in the same season. And the kid's just like, huh. Like, it, it, Bo's just kind of matter of fact, and the kid's just like, has no idea who he's talking to. And that's what's so amazing by it. It's just kind of this ordinary conversation. He's standing with like one of the probably top five professional athletes ever. And, and you're watching and you're like, kid, do you, do you know? Do you know who you are standing there with? Do you know who you are talking to right now? Believer in Jesus Christ, do you have any idea who you will be with for all eternity? You, you will be with Jesus. You will get to be with the one who loved you so much that he gave his life for you. And that's a lot more interesting than a Heisman Trophy. You will, you, you will get to be with him forever. And so when, when someone we know who is in Christ dies, we grieve, but we have hope because they are with Christ. And then finally... We grieve with hope because we have Jesus' word on all of this. Paul says, uh, we declare this to you by a word from the Lord. Uh, John Blessing's an old friend of mine who actually haven't seen in some time, but he lives in Greenville. He's been battling melanoma cancer and been following his story on Facebook some. And he's doing, doing well. And he wrote a blog recently, and he was talking about the first time he went to see the cancer doctor at uh, Duke University, and he talked about how encouraging it was when he got on the elevator and he saw a, a label on the the floor that was like the name of his cancer. He's like, oh, they, they must know what they're dealing with here. And he goes and he sees the, the doctor there, and, and she's the director of the melanoma research program at Duke University and, and had spent her entire adult life studying that disease. And, and he writes... If you've been told that you're dying of something, let me just tell you how nice it is to meet someone who's been thinking for her whole adult life about what is killing you. Unless you're dying of a knife wound, in which case meeting someone who has spent 20 years thinking about your knife wounds is kind of serial killer-ish. But I digress. And, and, but he just talks about how, how reassuring that was to, to meet this person who had been devoted completely her life to thinking about this illness. Y'all, Jesus knows what is killing us. And he knows the temptations that we face. And yet, he left the glories of heaven to enter into the brokenness of our world and to take our sin upon himself. And he died and he rose again. And one day he's promised you, believer in Jesus Christ, that you too will, will rise again. And he's, he's promised you, believer in Jesus Christ, that those who have gone before you even now are with him enjoying his presence. And that one day we will all be together with one another and in his presence. And he's given you his word on that. He's given you his word on that. And so the, the question kind of for us is, is will, will you and I trust his word? 
Will we trust Him at His Word? The, the, the truthfulness of, of this Word is what gives us the ability to grieve, but to grieve with hope. And so the question is, will, will we take Him at His Word? But just as He has gone before, He will come back. And there will be a resurrection. And we will have new bodies. And we will see those who have gone before us. Do you have that hope? Do you know that hope? Do you know the Jesus who is the author of that hope? Uh, If you do, I would just ask you to encourage one another, as Paul does. Encourage one another with these words of hope. Let me pray. Father, help us. Um, We uh, see as though through a glass darkly. Um, We we hear, but we struggle to believe. Uh, We hear, but but everything is not clear to us. Uh, So, Lord Jesus, help us to to take you at your word. Uh, Help us to believe because uh, you have died and yet you have risen Again, and we are inseparably connected to you by faith. If we are inseparably connected to you by faith, our resurrection is certain. And the resurrection of those who are in Christ who have gone before us is certain as well. Help us to believe that. And in believing that, give us hope and even joy in the midst of our grief. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.